Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me words so that I also may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Today, a day, a day late because we wanted to do it on a Sunday rather than the official day, which is January 6th, which was yesterday. Today, um, on this first Sunday of 2024, we celebrate what is called the Epiphany of our Lord, which falls every year on January 6th because it is the first day after the 12 days of the Christmas season. And in doing so, we turn to begin the, the church's 2024 Epiphany season, which will take us all the way to the season of Lent and its turn toward the cross. The Bible says that the Bible story that kicks this season off every year is the, everybody of course knows its story, of those who come to be known as the, uh, the three wise men or the three kings. The day of Epiphany every year is their day. It comes after Christmas because um, traditional nativity scenes notwithstanding, it's very clear in scripture that the, the wise ones didn't get to Bethlehem on Christmas with the shepherds, but rather arrived sometime later. An epiphany is when you see something you hadn't seen before, often suddenly, or something suddenly occurs to you that had never occurred to you before, and we've all had moments like that, at which point some of us, with a light bulb flashing either in or above our heads, then actually said, aha, I just had an epiphany. My wife had one this morning. You can talk to her about it. <laughs> now I see, you say. In the church's epiphany season, we consider what some and then others and then others 
began to see because like light shining in the dark, it was right there spelled out for them and for us in the flesh and blood of the word made flesh. Jesus, Jesus, Joseph and Mary's son, who Epiphany will go on to spell out for us, was, is also somehow son of God. The question Epiphany will ask us is what can you see now? Because you can see him. It's a question that surely takes more than a day or even 12 days to answer. So we have the epiphany season. That might not be long enough either. But what can you see? This season invites you to ask yourself all season long, what light is shining in the darkness to help you see? Because what you see is Jesus. The shining in the dark light with which the Epiphany season begins every year is that light of that star, which of course, as almost everyone of course does know, was seen and followed by those three wise men whom we sometimes refer to as the three kings. Although by way of full disclosure, even though almost everybody does, so to speak, know the story of these three, there are actually a lot of things we don't know at all, uh, including a lot of things we always thought we knew. For example, we don't know for sure that there were three of them. Never says that, but it does say later in the stories they brought three gifts. And so we do that math and assume, as tradition has, that therefore there were three of them. We also, despite the fact that almost everybody knows the story, don't know really for sure at all where they were from because Matthew just says they were from east of here. But if you're in Bethlehem and Judea, east of here includes like, you know, the entire or so southern third of the continent of Asia. Little ground. There is a little bit of a narrow it down clue, I think, um, in the word which our NS RSV translates as wise men. The word rendered in Greek is magoi, or traditionally tra transliterated into English, it becomes the magi. Here's the thing, magoi is not actually a Greek word. It's transliterated into Greek here. It's actually a Persian word. And east of Jerusalem and Bethlehem back then was Persia, which, and is, this, is, this is surely interesting, Persia is now Iran. And the major religion of the Persians back then was also one of the major back then religions in the whole world called Zoroastrianism, a name coming from the fact that Zoroastrians followed the teachings of a prophet named Zoroaster, who was also known as Zarathustra. If at this moment Richard Strauss's tone poem also Sprach Zarathustra started playing in your mind, you are not only spot on, you are also as nerdy as I am. If on the other hand, Fr Friedrich Nietzsche's book of the same title popped into your head, then you too are right on the money, but you are obviously more philosophical nerd than I am. Zoroastrian priests were called magi. But the way it wasn't only males, females also served as Zoroastrian magi, which is to say that if these magi mentioned here in Matthew's gospel were some of them, not only do we not know for sure that there were exactly three wise men, we also don't know for sure, however many of them there were, that they were even all of them or any of them men. 
post-biblical tradition told us they were. He even gave them names that were men's names, Caspar, Malchior, and Balthazar. But we need to be honest, post-biblical tradition too often had a very patriarchal bent to it. We don't know for sure, and not everybody agrees, that these uh, Magi and Matthew's Gospel necessarily were some of these Zoroastrian um, Persians from Persia. But that said, there are some details in the story that still leave me still mostly thinking what I do think, because my goodness, they connect to Matthew's story so powerfully, I just have a trouble assigning them to coincidence. For example, we know that Zoroastrians, just like Matthew and his Jewish and Christian siblings, were monotheistic. They believed in one God. Zoroastrians also believed that their prophet Zoroaster was, wait for it, they believed Zoroaster was miraculously conceived in the womb of a 15-year-old Persian virgin, and also that, like Jesus, Zoroaster started his ministry at the age of 30, at which point, like Jesus, he defeated temptation by Satan. Zoroaster then prophesied that other virgins would conceive additional divinely appointed prophets as history unfolded, and Zoroastrian priests were taught to and believed they could foretell these miraculous births by, wait for it, reading the stars. And Zoroastrian priests believed too that one day the stars would announce the birth of a savior for whom they, like the Jews, were waiting. How's this for an epiphany? Something to see today because it's written for all to see in the flesh of that child as kneeling beside him are the Magi. Jesus did not come in answer to the deepest hopes and needs of a people, the Jews. Jesus came as Savior in answer to the deepest hopes and needs of all people. Jews and Gentiles, which is to say Jews and Zoroastrians and all others, including us who, of course, are Gentiles too. Oh, if only, right? If only. If only Jews and Zoroastrians, which is to say Jews and Persians, which is today to say Jews and Iranians, which today is to say also Jews and every single other person on earth too, including Americans, would only, with the Magi, see and walk toward and walk with the light shining in the flesh there in Bethlehem instead of walking in and with and toward the dark. For here's the truth, the darkness in this world, in America, Israel, Gaza, Iran, Ukraine, Russia, and a list that goes on ad nauseum, that darkness won't ever be overcome by more dark. It will only be compounded by more dark. It will be overcome when people at last see and follow and walk toward and walk in the ways of light that is true light. It's what the prophet Isaiah had promised and prophesied in those words Dave read in our first reading. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Prophets, by the way, they sometimes said things in the present tense, even though they were for the future. It was just their way of saying, this is how sure it is. I'm going to say it as though it's already happened. 
Rise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness all peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear before you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings, perhaps even three at a time, will come to the brightness of your dawn. The Magi, the wise men or women, the kings as they are sometimes called, if they were these Zoroastrian priests, apparently came for the fulfillment of a prophecy parallel in some way to Isaiah's as they came looking for that long-awaited newborn king they believed would at last usher in a new kingdom where light would shine for all people. But first they met the old king, Herod the Great who was a ruthlessly evil and dangerously paranoid man who immediately heard their tidings of good news and great joy as a threat to him, which I mentioned briefly on Christmas Eve, it surely was. For the ways of Bethlehem's king, who would go on by choice to be crowned not on a throne but on a cross, are and ever will be a threat, a powerful threat, to the world's power for whose grasp on power clings to the ways of the world's darkness rather than the ways of Christ's light. Unfortunately, tragically, too many people of faith these days from where I sit anyway actually worship and follow not the ways of the new king, but rather the ways of the old ones. As they seek to marry the hopes and dreams of all the years to the ways and means of our world's Herods with the result that rather than living into the holy calling to shine in the dark, they instead and inevitably deepen the dark. Someone else, with me paraphrasing and, and amending quite a bit, but I put it this way. We're living through a time when people seem to wish that the power of God would be more like the power of Herod. It's a time when many people see more and more bad people around them and are willing to embrace bad people if they'll keep out, keep those whom they regard as worse and more threatening from us. But when churches or humans try to wield God's power as though it were a bully's club instead of a baby or a cross or anything other than faith active in love, we end up getting things like the Crusades and the Inquisition and, in my opinion, the Doctrine of Discovery and, in my opinion, the sad state of too much Christianity in this nation today. For the story of Christmas and Epiphany is the beginning of a long story about how God uses power in Jesus not to overpower, but to dwell among us and to love us and to love through us. The same thing is true, let me be clear, when people try to advance God's kingdom and wield God's power by wrapping it in any nation's flag then inevitably to sell their spiritual souls to a nation's secular political processes and increasingly dysfunctional political parties and increasingly amoral and egomaniacal political wannabe rock stars who are only too happy to let you worship them as they promise to save you from others whose flags are other flags, whose languages are other languages, and when more than a few cases refer to the one and only God there is with different words than you, because they're spoken in other languages, including, for example, not just Arabic-speaking Muslims, but also Arabic-speaking Christians, 
both of whom refer to the one and only God there is as Allah. Not because Allah is God's name, but because Allah is the Arabic word for God. Is Allah a word that has been sorely and heinously abused for purposes of extremism and terror? Surely. Is Allah a word which, whenever it's used, defines someone as your enemy? Surely not. Back to the story, the Magi finally did find their way to the newborn king, although it was apparently sometime after Christmas, for by the time of their arrival, the little town of Bethlehem had found room for him, not in a manger, but in a house, where rejoicing to see him, they knelt down to worship him, and then unlike us at Christmas, rather than giving gifts to each other, they gave gifts to, of all people, him. Here's an interesting Epiphany Day reminder. You are invited to remember on this first Sunday of 2024 and for all of 2024 and for all beyond that as well. That little one, when he grew up, just shortly before he was crowned on that cross, said that you also give gifts to him. You give gifts to him every single time you give gifts to those in need. The gift is something they do need. Correspondingly, of course, he said, and this to those who've sold their hopes and dreams and souls to the world's kings, including the king whose name is Cash. When you ignore the needs of the world, as far as he's concerned, your faith, as it were, has become something that is living life, ignoring him too. Which is to say that faith, which marginalizes and impresses and victimizes, or even just plain apathetically does ignore the needs of those most in need in the world, isn't actually faith in him at all. Speaking of those gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, these were expensive. And we don't know uh, whatever happened to them. We do know, we're told in the verses immediately after this, that King Herod would send his troops to Bethlehem with swords and spears to eliminate the threat that he felt from this newborn king. Warned in a dream, Joseph, uh, before Herod's troops got there, fled with his wife and child to Egypt, where they lived as refugees, possibly for a couple of months, possibly for a couple of years. Maybe the gifts of Magi brought were what they lived on. Or who knows, maybe like refugees today, trying to get to and then through borders, including our borders, maybe some of the value of those gifts was needed to be spent just to get across the border. Don't know, doesn't say. In any case, Matthew then concludes by saying uh, that warned in a dream of their own not to return to Herod as Herod had requested the Magi instead return to their own country by another different road which is to say they traveled one path on the road to meet him, but they traveled a new path, another road, having met him. Which on this first Sunday of 2024 raises a question certainly worth asking, worth pondering, worth praying as 2024 stands before us. You, walking whatever is the path that light led you on to Bethlehem this Christmas and today, you have again, perhaps even in some new ways, some epiphany ways, some aha, first time ways, you have seen Jesus. A king born homeless, a king driven from home to a foreign kingdom for asylum from political violence and a king even already then destined for a crown of thorns and a cross for a throne. Whatever the path you walked to meet him, what path is God calling you now to walk because you met him? and because he walked the path he walked to meet you. Hint, 
The paths he calls us to walk are paths where light that is his light in the darkness shines upon us and shines through us. Amen.